Oh, the book of Romans. I was in Haiti uh, last month, and I was on the trip for, I think, two days before uh, I took off my visor. If you've been around a while, you know that I'm a big fan of the visor. The main reason is, is that my head is too large for, like, a regular hat. So it always looks like my head is in a fight with a hat, and the hat is losing. <laughs> it's like, at any moment, if someone went, it would just shoot off the top. And... So the visor, you know, I figured Toby Mac, those guys can pull it off. You know, he's 40-something, I pull it off. That's my theory. Uh, but in Haiti, I was there for about, I think it was two days before someone, I took it off and someone said, oh, I thought that was one of those visor hair things. She, from the town that she's in, knows a guy that that's what he uses for his uh, toupee. Instead of a toupee, he puts the visor hat on. So she, th she thought I was that guy. <laughs> right? It's a strong idea. I remember uh, there was a period of time that I don't look back on with uh, a lot of excitement, but I worked, uh, the Southern Gospel agent quit uh, at the company I worked at, and I uh, was the new kid, and I got sent in to be the Southern Gospel agent, and I got to go to this thing called the Quartet Convention. I didn't even know what that was, but here's what I did know. If the rapture had happened during that, it would have been raining hair uh, in that room of 12,000 people. Uh, Romans chapter 4. Right? <laughs> Write that down. Verse 16. Therefore, it's of faith that it might be grace. And I've got it in the King James this morning. I apologize in advance. To the end, the promise, uh, to the end, that the promise might be sure to all the seed, all the generations, right, of his family, of Abraham. Not only, uh, not to that only, but which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. saying so it's all of us that this promise was given to. And in uh, verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to, what, uh, to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And uh, verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, because of that, because of what he believed, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone, speaking of Abraham, that it was imputed to him, that it was given to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed or given, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Father, we are encountering you today in your scriptures and in the word. Uh, this is not a academic exercise. It's a spiritual encounter with you. Would you guide us today? Would you speak to us? Uh, Lord, don't let my imperfection and uh, scatteredness that, that sometimes happens, that that would get in the way, but that you would reign supreme, that you have a word for each of us that is uh, your word, your promise for us individually. In Jesus' name, amen. Tyler is so painfully uncool, we are going to ramp up the worship music to compensate. If you dress in all black, it will give people the impression that we will let anyone in here. 
I appreciate your enthusiasm for hipster culture, but black is very slimmin'. It also does not show under arm sweat as easily. And where did that Australian accent come from? You're from Wichita? American Christians love Australians. We cannot afford a real Australian, so I've been working on my accent by listening to the Newsboys and Hillsong. Ever since Rebecca St. James moved to California it opens a big hole for a new Australian in Nashville. Now, where is the beanie cap that I gave you? The beanie is an important accessory regardless of any incongruity between weather or temperature. I don't know. I threw it away because it was really itchy. I really thought that we should make our song sound like Nickelback. Look at this photograph, every time I do it makes me laugh. That just grabs me in the heart. You really don't get it, do you? A pastor looks like the love child of Uncle Cracker and Vince Gill. And all this talk about mission. Showing pictures of these children in Haiti and Africa, and now with the Fadley family who moved to India. This is going to make people in our market very uncomfortable and then we'll be out of a job. But I don't even work here. Neither do I. That's what makes this so hard. At my last church we hired consultants to come in and study our market. Their results showed that our target audience is middle-class upwardly mobile married with children with disposable income. We need them to be here so they can dispose of that income on us. I thought that those consultants were pencil-pushing pocket protector wearing clipboard-carrying goobs. Why would we listen to them? What if the Holy Spirit is directing us to do something different? The Holy Spirit moves better when we have moving lights, multimedia presentations, and fog. Which brings me to my next point. We need Darren to go to pastorfashion.com. He is in serious need of an Ed Young makeover. People will look beyond the talk about living life on mission if we can get him to look cool. On that we can agree. I feel sorry for his wife. It's almost as if he genuinely doesn't care how he looks. Would it kill him to throw on a pair of skinny jeans? Wait. I know the answer to that question. At the very least we can get him some spanks for men. It's the new thing called Manx. It will help him to suck that gut in and take 20 pounds off him. If we are going to go video campus we can't have him looking like he does. Yes, and then we can bring in the sign language songs. Love in any language was huge in the 80s. And because you're Australian you will be able to sign with that really cool accent. Oh I give up. You really don't get it. I'm taking my skinny jeans and moving to East Nashville where I can be appreciated for my sense of fashion and instinct for what is cool. We have a tendency to overcomplicate things in our walk with Christ. And I believe that Jesus uh, knew that was coming. He saw it coming a mile away when he said in Matthew that to enter the kingdom of God, you must become like little children. Simple. Not childish, but childlike. So simple that even a child could understand it. And I think that that is exactly what Romans does for us, what Paul makes it amazingly simple. He says in Romans 1 through 3, basically says, hey, the world is in trouble. You guys as humans are in need of a savior. You can't become righteous. You can't get to God that way. 
And he would say in Romans 3.24, as he begins to sum up that, that he says that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. But then he would say in this very simple, simplistic way that in verse 28 of chapter 3, hey, the conclusion of all of this is that we are justified by faith, freely, simple, so simple that even a child could understand it. So simple that even you and I could get it right, because if there's one thing that we could understand is that we can't get it right if it was up to us. That when he would say that in verse 16, that it's by faith, so that the promise might be sure, that was real, because if it were by works, then the promise is no longer sure. The promise is up to whether or not I can pull this off, and I want you to know that ain't going to happen, and nor would it with you. But it doesn't have to be. It's so simple. It was just by believing that it was a promise that was made to Abraham in whatever B.C., Genesis 15, we went there last week, when God said to Abram, I'm going to make you a father of many nations, and the, you know all the promises, and in Genesis 15, 15-ish, it says that it was imputed unto him as righteousness because he believed. But Abram did exactly what I do. He's like, that's awesome. Now, how do I know for sure? Show me how this could be. But you know what I love about, I love the Lord, because in Romans, it doesn't say any of that. It says that he, he didn't doubt, he didn't waver. And you're reading it going, man, what Bible was Paul reading? And the truth is, is he was not reading any Bible. He was listening to the Holy Spirit. And when you look to Abram, what God sees in Abram after the cross, after the resurrection, after uh, he was you know, standing in his uh, presence with the Lord, he sees Abram the same way that he sees me, righteous. God isn't up there with a clipboard going, that was close. Righteous. Just like Abram in the entire New Testament, I challenge you to find a reference to a person from the Old Testament in the New Testament where it brings up their faults or their flaws or their sins. It's not in there because they're gone, they're buried. How can the Holy Spirit even bring up something that he chooses not to remember? It's just not there. And he made it so simple for Abram that even a child could understand it. And Abram did what we did, which is complicate it. How many of you guys have the homeowner's policy on your home? If you uh, own a house, you've got the homeowner's insurance policy. And the thing about the homeowner's insurance is it's going to cover a lot of stuff. And a lot of stuff it's not going to cover. For instance, we didn't know that we had uh, a couple of years ago, our dishwasher uh, decided to do like that Brady Bunch episode where it goes all over the floor. And, and it just completely ruined the hardwood floors in our uh, kitchen. We're like, man, we don't. This is awful. We don't have money for this. What are we going to do? And then we figured out that our homeowner's policy covered it. That was awesome. But if your water, if you were in the floods in Nashville and you had water come from the outside of your house, homeowner's policy didn't cover that. Basically, you get an entire book of things that it will and will not do. And that was what Abram was looking for from God when he said, hey, show me. And so God says, hey, Cut up the cow, the goat, the ram. 
cut them in half. And what he was doing was basically the equivalent of a contract from antiquity. They were going to do a contract. In this day and age, it would be maybe he would have told Abram to go down to the state farm office and write up a, write up a policy. So Abram wrote up his policy, and then he waited for God to come sign it. So he's cut the cow, the goat, and I'm assuming they're in like a parade form, right? So it's like a long alley of dead animal, right? You're going through, and we said last week that they did it that way because these were deadly serious. In, in, in a normal contract, it would have been just one of those animals, a, a heifer or a cow, and he got all of them. So you stand between a, a dead cow cut in half lengthwise, and it's just saying, hey, this is a no bull kind of deal. It was funny last week. It was a no bull kind of deal. Because we're serious about this. We're deadly serious about this deal. And he waits for God to come and keep his promise. Except, God didn't promise that he was showing up for that. God had him do this so that Abram could do his little dog and pony show all day long. The birds had flown in. The turkey buzzers. What a... Ugh. Have you seen them? They're so creepy, right? Up along eating all the dead animals on the side of the road. They're coming in and... He's trying to keep his work very clean. He's chasing off the birds, which oftentimes in Scripture, birds are a picture of evil. And he's flailing around, chasing birds. God doesn't show, and Abram basically falls asleep. He's so tired. He spent his whole day trying to keep a promise to God that Abram made that, A, God didn't ask him to make, and asking God to keep a promise that he didn't make. And when did God show up? He showed up when Abram was asleep, resting. And God did something fascinating. He torched the animals. He took the contract, because Abram said, I want you to sign off on this. And God is basically, I believe, saying, I don't have to sign off on anything. I'm God. My promise is sure. I'm burning your contract because mine has nothing to do with you and your effort and your work. It's gone. And he would say to us that I, you know, the homeowner's policy, all those things. He doesn't have to write off, write up all of that stuff. His promise is very, very simple. He will give us, give you, give me whatever we need. Not necessarily want, not necessarily like, but what we need when we need it. And ultimately, a gift of the Holy Spirit inside of us to speak to us. Here's why this is important. It's important enough to think to bring up another week because as Christians, we can have this tendency to do this uh, mission creep. Have you heard that phrase before? Mission creep is a military phrase that when you spell out, like most recently in Libya, we were going to go in there and provide air support. That was supposed to be the mission. Mission creep is after we decide the mission, after we go in to do what we're supposed to do, we decide to do some extra stuff. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you can become so distracted by all these extras that you miss or fail at the mission itself. We can become very guilty of mission creep in that now that we are saved, we're justified by grace and by faith and just believing that now I can all of a sudden start making up new stuff that keeps me so busy that I missed the point of what he called me to do. I have a great example, and I would appreciate it if you that have open toe shoes, uh, maybe cover your toes just a second, and then I promise we'll get done with the, the toe-stepping part. Um, 
Jesus never, and listen, didn't promise us ever a Christian government. There's an election season coming up. So as Christians, maybe our temptation is to go and to uh, march on Washington or to get really angry and say angry things. Because what I want is a Christian government. I want what our forefathers planned. I want those things. And let me tell you what, I want that too. But that isn't what God promised us. He promised us that there would be a, quote, Christian nation when he returns. It says in Isaiah that the government will be on his shoulders. And I believe, I believe with all my heart that one of the reasons he has let us do the way we've done it for so long is that when he comes, sets up shop, we can say, look, we tried it every which way but loose, and none of them worked. Capitalism, democracy, socialism, communism, just go down the list. None of them work. And they didn't work because Jesus wasn't in charge. And so as we begin to see what we see, if anything, what we're seeing is exactly what he did promise, which was in those days there would be mockers that would come forth. In those days, you'll be carried off, you'll be hated, you'll be persecuted. That he did promise. And what do we do now? What do we do? Of course, we can vote, we can participate in our democracy. But Peter said, actually Paul said to Timothy, he said, hey, at 1 Timothy 2, to, to pray for your leaders, your kings. By the way, speaking of Rome, so who he was talking about? It's a lot of fun when you think about it. Pray for them. Proverbs tells us that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. That's Proverbs 21, verse 1. It does not say that the heart of the Lord is in the hand of the king. And the danger of a theocracy is that when I think I got it, then I think I got God's heart in my hand and I can wield God's will with power. That doesn't work very well. It never has. If you wonder, go back to the Crusades. We can pray for those that are in authority, knowing that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And when I don't understand why it goes down the way it does, I will be able to someday know, because it says that I'll be able to look back and say, oh, righteous and true were your judgments, God. That's why that happened. That makes perfect sense. But in the meantime, I have to, I get to, I choose to, Pray for those in authority over me. And then secondly, in 1 Peter 2, he talks about that we're a holy nation, righteous, a people called forth. We are a nation that follows Christ, existing in a nation. And what did uh, the Bible tell us? I think in Luke, Jesus said, therefore, occupy till I come. An occupying force isn't the government, isn't the real thing. It's a force that has come in and invaded and occupies until the real king shows up. We are to occupy until he comes. And I love it, the way that we occupy. First Peter 2, somewhere around verse 9, he says, to use, let, I love this, let your good works refute the talk of foolish men. Not my well-worded arguments, not my pithy responses in blogs and social networking. Let your good works shut them up. That's how we occupy until he comes. 
But if I get distracted, I can get real busy flailing my arms and chasing away the birds and doing something he never promised that he would do, trying to keep a promise I shouldn't have made to begin with. And all I had to do was rest. And from the overflow of rest, I can go out and do the good things that God has called me and you to do. He didn't promise us a Christian government closer to home. By a show of hands, out of curiosity, how many parents in the room? Show of hands. Okay. Now by a show of hands, how many in here give your kids everything they want? Show of hands. Right? Why would I think God's going to do that? Just because I want it, that I'm going to get it? Right? And I understand that there are things that I want that I think I need. And so I will spend all this time and energy praying for something that God didn't necessarily promise. You see, but yeah, but didn't Jesus say that we could ask for anything? Yes, in his name, in his nature, in his will, that the Son of Man might be glorified, not so that you can get a bigger, nicer place. Now, here's the thing. God wants some of us to have a bigger, nicer place. And he wants some of us not to. Because what he wants is for each of us to have exactly what I need. There is no everybody one-size-fits-all thing, because we're all different. We all have different needs. We're all di you, you know this if you're a parent of children. There's a way that you can speak to one child that if you speak to another, they completely melt and it crushes them. Because they're different. And God knows that about each and every one of us. And so as Abram was praying, saying, hey, God, I want uh, to be a father of many nations. And I'm sure he wanted a lot of kids. And then God gave him, what, a kid. And what I love, though, is, is a story that, man, it just rings so true to my heart. Because I've got kids, and I want to give them everything they want. But sometimes what they want isn't what is what God wants for them. This past week, I had one of those moments as a daddy with my daughter who wanted so bad to be in competition cheerleading. And we don't have that kind of money to throw her into training for years. And so we thought, well, maybe because, uh, I think I see, is Krista? Yeah. Here's some people like Krista, just without being prompted, would have, hey, I'll, I'll train her. God took care of that and she was training and she was working I mean like a rented mule just day after day after day for a month two months all runs together it seems and so on Friday she goes and, and we had a little talk on the way about how God's will and maybe you know she could try as hard as she wants but if it isn't what God wants then uh, and she could go in there and just nail it, but if it isn't God's will, then she wouldn't get it. But if, or she could go in there and tank it, but if it's God's will that she had it, she'd get it. You know, I was trying to prep her, and she went in there and just, you know, crushed it. And I had to look over her shoulder, so she typed the words to her friend Friday night, I didn't make it. Because she was close. We just didn't have, uh, you know, she's going into a system where they're, they're, these kids are working for years on this stuff, and and in the two months she had, it just wasn't enough. And as much as I wanted to give it to her, it, I, I couldn't. I just couldn't. 
And so as a father, I have to say I give that to the Lord. As a father, I can say that that God has a plan. There was an article that came out a few years ago, and I think it was Fortune magazine, and I don't remember the exact title, but it was something along the lines of why billionaires' kids are jerks. And it featured like Paris Hilton and, you know, other rich kids of billionaires. And, and the premise was really simple. When you got to the bottom of it, the reason that these kids had uh, turned out the way they did was because the father, the mother said, I don't want them to have to go through what I went through. Now, I say that, but I can't afford to avoid that. So there are situations where I am forced to let Ashley or Maddie or Lauren or Ethan do, go through something that I just can't change because I don't have enough money to change it. And on the other side of it is the discipline, because God does say, hey, some of you that do have means, that you have to have the discipline to say, I can't bail them out of everything. Because there are things that we go through. The irony of it was the very things that those billionaires went through growing up, the suffering that made them into who they are. And they then did the biggest, dumbest thing they could do, which is then shield their children from the very thing that could have molded them into what they went through. We as a parent say, I don't want you to have to go through what I went through. And Jesus would say, I want you to join me in what I went through in the fellowship of his sufferings, of his not getting everything we wanted when we wanted and not knowing that this could happen or that, or we just don't know. All I know is one day I'm going to look back and say, oh God, that was awesome. Righteous and true. High five, dude. That was sweet. There's a story in Abram's life as he became older. His name was Abram. It meant exalted father. Well, how about a name like that? You're 86 years old. You've got no children. And everybody's calling you exalted father all day long. And then God says, I'm going to give you a new name. And he's probably like, oh, thank God, finally. It's now going to be father of many nations. Seriously? <laughs> and the promise, he gave him one child, and then Abram passed on. And the promise, what? Seriously? That's it? I thought. And then the promise would go to his grandson, a young man named Jacob, whose word, whose name means heel snatcher. It was a little creep. He had ripped off his brother, and he, and he had to run away for his life. And he finds himself in a farm in Genesis 29, with a guy named Laban. He comes up to the well, and you might remember the story. He sees this smoking hot shepherdess named Rachel. And he is smitten. So smitten that it says that he cried. <laughs> he, she kissed him on the cheek, and he cried. Like, seriously, dude? There's no crying. And, anyway, he, he's so smitten, and that's all he wants, so smitten that he works for seven years to get her. And at the end, remember the story, at the end of the seven years, the wedding night, opens the veil, then, ah! It's Leah, whose name means soft eyes. It could mean hard on the eyes. There's really some argument as to what the translation meant. But... He wakes up with Leah, and he is furious because he has been hosed. Ripped off, gypped. And Laban's like, I'm sorry, she was older, yada, yada. So he says, okay, we'll make a deal. Another seven years. And man, he did it again, seven more years. And then he finally gets his love, Rachel. And then Rachel promptly begins to make his life miserable. 
Give me children or else I'll die, she said to him, like it's his fault. And then there's like a race between the wives who can have more babies. You know, here's my handmaiden. Here's, you know, they're just making mess. And Rachel just wails, wears him out. And then she finally gives birth. And guess what? She did die. The thing that he wanted, he's, she's dead. And it's now what? If you fast forward to Genesis 49, it's the end of Jacob's life. And some of you know this. He's blessing his children. And he says, bury me with, he says to bury me with Leah. From Leah would come a son named Judah. And Jesus would be a lion from the tribe of Judah. And so that thing that Abram, or that Jacob wanted, he wanted her so bad that he would do anything. And God's like, no, 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 I got something right here that's awesome. You just can't see it because you're busy trying to make a promise, get me to keep a promise that I didn't make. And he wore himself out. And later in life, he would look back and say, bury me with Leah. And I say that to you this morning to say that his promise is sure, even if you don't know it, even if you don't feel it, because life didn't turn out the way you thought. We can rest like Abram did and know that God's at work in these things that don't make any sense to me. And maybe you think, hey, that's great, Darren, but I got me a Rachel. I have a job that is just, I wanted it so bad and it is wearing me out. Maybe it is your marriage and your spouse. This is, this is crazy, God. You have no idea. She is nuts. God, have you seen how he speaks to me? This thing that you thought and I wanted and it didn't. And, and now what do I do? He set out his promise. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You see, in Rachel would be born a, a son named Joseph who is an Old Testament picture of Jesus, the perfect picture of Jesus. Joseph, who would actually be the guy in Egypt that would then save this nation physically so that Messiah could be preserved. Jesus was in that too. He would say to you and to me that I'll never leave you nor forsake me. You can't be smart enough to outsmart the will of God. You can't be dumb enough to miss out on the will of God. He's God. And whether you go Rachel or you go Leah or in Jacob's case you do both, Jesus is in all of it. If we'll invite him into our thing, into our life, that's why he would say in Luke 11, teach me how to pray, the disciples said. And he taught them what we would call the Lord's Prayer. And he would go on to say, he would uh, talk about the parable of the, the, uh, the servant, no, the friend, so I went. Jesus said, which of you, if you had a servant and he, or a friend, and he came and knocked on the door late at night and needed a loaf of bread, he said, you keep knocking, and eventually God, you know, this is the metaphor, will come to the door. 
And I think sometimes that when I'm looking at my, uh, my stuff, the thing that I don't understand, the thing I'm praying, God, please, and I'm just banging on the door. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door, right? Zeppelin in it up in prayer. No, no, that's gun. What is it, Guns and Roses? Stairway to heaven. Ooh. I know. You might as well pull my pastor card on that one. Seriously. Because I hear Jesus say, if I keep knocking, eventually God will answer, right? But he says, which of you have a friend? And then he says, a couple verses later, and if you miss this, you're going to miss, this is, you, this is the only thing maybe you came to church for is to hear this. Where were the children? In Luke 11, they were tucked in bed with daddy. And he would say, if you had a friend, but then he would say in the next verse, but which of you who had a son, who if he asked you for a stone, you'd give him, or bread, you'd give him a stone, right? Scorpion instead of me. Which of you would do that? You don't do that, not for your children. The idea of those that are seeking God throughout the earth and, you know, said if you come by and God, you'll get to Jesus. This is a, that's the moment of salvation. It's the moment of the Lord and coming through and the, the, the loaf of bread, the bread of life, the picture there. But the picture for you and I that have believed on the name of Christ, believed on him, we're the children, we're in bed. And here's the thing, no is just as much an answer as yes is. And if I haven't gotten what I've asked for, that's because it isn't right for me now. Maybe later, maybe never. But if I'm a child in bed, here's what I know. My needs are taken care of. I got a place to sleep. I got a roof over my head. I got food. I am taken care of. That's what he promised us. It might mean sometimes you got to take two steps back in your career. He didn't promise promotion every time. It might mean that you got to take lower dollars per hour. You're knocking, God, please give me that job that I wanted. And over here, you've got the $8 an hour job. Please, God, $8 an hour, I can't do that. I'm worth more than that. But at home, I'm doing $0 an hour. Maybe God is saying, go get the $8 an hour job and stop knocking because he provided, he's given you provision. And I'm looking, I'm looking, Corey and I were having this conversation this week. I'm looking way over there at that projector. How am I going to get from here to there? But sometimes God gives us a little step here, like a little lily pad. Jump. Because it's a journey. It's not a leap. There's a, I challenge you, find it in the scriptures where God tells you to take a leap of faith. He talks about steps of faith, not leaps. This is a journey. We're walking. We're not skipping. <laughs> it's not some sort of cosmic game of hopscotch. God's promises are sure to you this morning. His promise is that he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. At the moment of salvation, the simplicity that you experience there is the simplicity you can take with you into the rest of your life. Paul says, as you have received, so now live. I believe simply, and now I can live that way as well. And I mean, gang, it's exhausting. I mean, he lets us do it. He probably thinks it's kind of funny. Seriously, how long is before he wears himself out? Finally gets to it, right? We do that with our kids sometimes. And wear themselves out and then come home. And we don't have to beg God for anything. He's our daddy. I don't have to beat the door down. He's my dad. I'm home in bed with my father. 
And as we worship for just one more song, just a little bit longer in the presence of the Lord, fall into his promises. We all fall short of the glory of God. I'm so excited to fall into grace. I'm so excited to fall into mercy. And so as I have believed, now I can live. And you might think, Darren, you don't know what I'm going through. You're right, I don't. But God does. And his promise is sure. Rest in him. Your prayers, it changes everything. But when we recognize this, it changes everything in our relationship with the Lord. But I got to be specific in my prayer. Who told you that? God? Because I don't see it in there anywhere. I can ask and I can tell God, hey, this would be great. I'd love this. But Jesus says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God leaves his, gives his best to those who leave the choice up to him. That's his promise. Give you what you need. You want the job? Awesome. Awesome. Pray for it. Rest knowing that God is going to provide. Do what's in front of you. And then rest knowing that it isn't about your career anyway. It was about Jesus and about what he can do in your life. Man, it's just a better way to live. And someday, a thousand years into eternity, we're going to sit around some campfire, around some huge waterfall, looking back going, man, how silly was I? <laughs> can you believe I did that? I just didn't rest when I could have. God, thank you so much for your promise that is sure. And it's sure because of you, not because of me. It's sure because of what you've done, not because of what I do. It's not about me trying, it's about me trusting. As we worship, there's communion available for you if you want to partake of that. There's going to be buckets going to come by. It might surprise you. There, hey, there's a bucket. It's your chance to trust the Lord as well. Tithing is not about keeping the law like I'm paying my light bill. It's just me trusting. I trust that God's got this. I trust that God wants me to do this with my investment into his kingdom. It's not a law thing, not a religion thing. It's a worship thing. So some of you, as the buckets come, the Lord's going to lead you to tithe. Some of you, the Lord is leading you this morning to just throw open your hearts and say all these promises, Lord, the contract that I've written that I want you to fulfill, burn it up the Holy Spirit inside of me to torch it and to keep, you get to keep your promise, not mine. Would you worship him this morning? Would you seek his face and his word for you today?